From the American Tobacco Historic District in downtown Durham, this is Due South on WUNC. I'm Leonida Inge. When I hear the name Justin Robinson, my ears perk up, and I close my eyes and recall the days of listening to the Grammy Award-winning old-time string band, the Carolina Chocolate Drops. Justin is mostly on the fiddle. Sometimes you can hear him blowing and spitting on the jug, or he's singing. Cornbread and butter beans and you cross the table Eating beans and making love as long as I am able Corn, corn, It's been more than a decade since Genuine Negro Jig won that Grammy. Since that time, Justin has explored his true passion, which is now bearing fruit. Today, Justin is a botanist who studies rare plants, good food, healthy food. Here he is on Instagram, where he's known as Country Gentleman Cooks. This is more carnicles from the food forest. Botany Bay here after a long hiatus for some spring flowers. At this delicious weed, which is called Erictetes hyracifolia. And this is one of the many edible species here called Allium sinuum, or the nodding onion. Cunilla oregonoides, or stone mint, or American dittany, or American wild oregano. Did you get all that? Learning the land and living on the land is part of Justin's heritage. He's connected the dots from where he came from and where he's going, and is embracing his new life for many reasons. There's a long history, in, at least here, of people, at least in North and South Carolina, of moving to the country for safety. Right to be, to have a sense of, of have a sense of freedom, to have a sense of. Well, that sounds sort of like what you did. I think it connects it. I mean, I think because being in these other spaces that are that you don't have control over, your safety is not guaranteed. The feeling of safety of like you know, you know, this is your own space, and you know, nobody's going to do anything to you, and you have enough of it, right? Not just like your little townhouse, right? Mm-hmm. Um, allows me to not walk around in the world with that set of fear at the top of my mind. I mean, I know it's there. Well, hello, Justin Robinson. Thank you for joining us today on Do South. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. You're looking good. Thank you. You look a, a, like a lot older than I remember you <laughs> out on the grass at American Tobacco. <laughs> Performing. I am. I am a lot older than I was. Oh, I know. Well, you know, your interests and talents, they really defy any category today. So I have just attempted to define you. But how do you define yourself? And, you know, as a black man in this world, you know, in the American South, how do you think you're being seen today? Oh, well, that's an interesting question. Um, I think of myself in the best way I can think of it is I am a village man. A village man. <laughs> now, we don't really have that term in the United States, but in, in in West Africa, that's a pretty common term, right, for people who, you know, like country stuff, right, who like living in the village, who like, you know, being out in the forest or on the farm or, you know, can refer to hunters or people who are a little bit old-fashioned. Um, and so I think of myself as a, I'm a village man. That's what, that's what I am. Uh, I love the country. I love being in the country. And I'm just following the footsteps of my, my people. That's kind of who we are. You know, I know a lot of village men in West Africa and in North Carolina. But I have to ask you, who inspired you to sort of, you know, 
take this village path. You know, we um, we know sort of what you're doing now, but where did you grow up? How did you grow up? And while you're there, why are you, you know, doing what you do today? Yeah, so I grew up in Gastonia, North Carolina, but I'm really from South Carolina. I rep North Carolina very hard, as y'all know, but technically I'm a South Carolinian. Uh, I was born in North Carolina, but all of my parents, uh, both my parents come from South Carolina, my grandparents come from South Carolina, my great-grandparents come from South Carolina, my great-great-grandparents come from South Carolina, everybody comes from South Carolina. And so I am truly a South Carolinian in that sense, but I grew up in North Carolina. Um, And so we grew up about maybe 10, 15 miles away from my grandfather's place, and so we were there all the time. Um, and so my grandfather, also a village man, and a family of other village people. So I spent a lot of time with my dad's father. And I also spent a lot of time with my mother's father. Also another village man, my mother's father, um, J.G., was an excellent plants person. Like, could grow anything. He loved beautiful plants. He loved beautiful flowers. Every time I'm recreating a garden, I inadvertently without myself knowing it, always recreate his garden every single time. Beautiful. Even if I have like a different idea, I'm going to do something different this time, it ends up looking like the garden that he had when I was about 11. So where are you planting gardens now? You know, I I remember when we actually, I used to pass by your house not too far away in Durham, and now you're not there anymore. I like your wild grass. <laughs> I was like, oh, is he going to cut that grass? No, that's a prairie. That's a prairie. But now you're, you're out further on the outskirts. I guess you can have more space to do what you want to do. Yeah, so now I'm in North Durham um, with Earthseed Lane Collective. That's where I live, and that's who I'm a, a, a part of. So it's the seven of us um, who have, who came together to buy land um, so that we could steward it and sort of make it available to different community groups and for ourselves and for our own children. So we're in North Durham. So yeah, I have a lot more space now to do plant stuff, (laughs) a lot of space. But I sort of have gardens and have had gardens sort of dotted all over Durham County, the house that you knew me living in. I still consider that one of the gardens. Um, And yeah, anywhere I've ever lived, there's, of course, the space in downtown um, Durham, not far away from where we are now. That's Prairie Island that me and my colleague Tara Mae Smith did, which is also a prairie garden. Um, And we've been helped a lot this year with um, Keep Durham Beautiful to help keep that space looking nice and weeded and all that stuff. So I have gardens sort of dotted in lots of different places. So what's exactly in these gardens? I mean, I know you may not want to be too specific because you think I won't understand. (laughs) I won't know those plants. But I mean, anything in there to eat, for example. Um, And I know a lot of things, you know, I followed you a little bit that, the, you know, rare plants you love, but you say they even shouldn't even be rare. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I love to do is that if you're doing sort of gardening correctly, this is my definition of correctly, mind you, that it should be, it should provide food, fiber, space for pollinators, and should be beautiful, and medicine, all those five things. That's what it should do, right? And so... That's the guiding principle that I use for all of my plantings. It should be helpful. It should be, you got to hit at least four, right? And so in all of my plantings, there's always food to eat. Um, there's always stuff for pollinators. It, now, the beauty part is subjective, of course. Um, but yeah, so things that you might know to eat is a plant called maypops. Uh, maypops, if you go to any of the Hispanic markets here locally, you'll find a drink sometimes called parcha 
or maracuya. This is the our version of that, right? It's a wild passion fruit, basically, that grows here. It's delicious. I encourage it's ready now. I encourage people, if you see it, eat it. It is so good. It is so good. So it's you unlike, grow this in yeah, the yeah. garden? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And it grows wild, too. Um, but, you know, this is a formerly cultivated plant by indigenous people here in North Carolina. And so we're just continuing that tradition, just continuing that thing that people have been doing for, you know, at least a thousand years. So is this how you're you're living in um, the Earthseed Collective? Mm-hmm. I mean, everyone contributes to the land. Mm-hmm. You know, if, oh, you're going back old school, Justin. <laughs> you know, um, the land and the living. And um, how is that going? Is it, um, do you want it to get larger? You say about seven? There's seven of us now. And so we would love to be able to invite more people, you know, as if you know anything about collective processes, it's uh, both, it is wonderful and uh, challenging. Um, it's both. It's both of those things. There's lots of support there to be able to do lots of things that we couldn't do by ourselves, right? Or just as an individual household. So it's beautiful. And yeah, it is old school and, you know, I remember driving away one day, just going wherever I was going and sort of turning and looking back and realized that I had helped to recreate what I remember from my mother's family, right? Because this is just what it was like being around my mother's family, like a big piece of land, everybody coming here to help. And, you know, by the time I had come along, the farming was mostly done, but there was still a little bit happening. And this is where everybody gathered. It was it was the the space. They lived walking distance away from each other. They did, yeah, they did. And it just felt like a communal space where people had enough space to themselves, but were also still close to your people. So not this sort of isolation of living in you know a cabin in the woods by yourself, um, but you're you're close enough to your people, and you've got your own space. There's something about that that feels lovely. You kind of want to be um, alone together. Alone together. Are you playing the fiddle out there? Are you playing a lot of yeah, music still? I do. I play a lot of music, and I mostly play it for my own enjoyment and my own, uh, my own to challenge myself to do things. Um, so yeah, I'm playing a lot of music. I'm playing many, at least several hours a day, not uh, not all at once, but you know, I'll play twenty minutes here, then another twenty minutes, then another twenty minutes here, then another twenty minutes, which is kind of my sort of personality. Mm, so you've come full circle. I, I, I don't know if I did ask this already, but is this what you thought you would be doing when you grew up? What did you want to be when you you were young? What did you think you would be or who you would be? This. Yeah. Good. I often ask myself, what, and I ask other people this, would your 10-year-old self be proud of you? Right? And my 10-year-old, the 10-year-old self would absolutely be proud of me. This is what I set out to do, for sure. Well, I'm here with Justin Robinson, botanist, great cook, musician. We'll be back to talk about his explorations of his ancestry through food, the courses he's taught, and about, um, what, soul food? He taught a course on soul food. And I want to talk about Thanksgiving, which is my favorite time of year to explore food. This is Due South. back to Due South. I'm Leonita Inge, and I'm here with Justin Robinson, botanist, sophisticated cook. 
<laughs> and a former member of the award-winning Carolina Chocolate Drops. You know, Justin, I read somewhere that you teach a class called Ethnobotany of Thanksgiving. Hmm. First, please, you have to explain what that means. <laughs> so ethnobotany is, and the short answer is, how people use plants, right? Now, historically, it has been applied to non-European people, but it really is how human beings use plants, right? And so for the ethnobotany of Thanksgiving, that course is centered on the plants that we use to make our Thanksgiving meal and the things that are associated with Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. So we talk about pumpkin and corn and whatever else, cranberries, all like the history surrounding those, how they came to be a part of our table, what a little bit about their ecology and how people have used those over time and how we get to the like codified or semi-codified meal that we have around, you know, the Thanksgiving holiday time. Mm. So you're teaching this class now, still, uh, mm -hmm. year round? or I teach it once a year, usually the weekend or two before Thanksgiving, virtually. Um, this started, this this ethnobotany series started during the pandemic. And so I've taught many things, the ethnobotany of clothing, the ethnobotany of, um, we'll be teaching the ethnobotany of Halloween. The ethnobotany of Christmas was the very first one because Christmas has all these wonderful plants to talk about. And so it's a really interesting sort of format to think through history and culture and all kinds of things um, about how human beings sort of engage with the world. And plants plants are really neat way to think about how we are as human beings. So are you teaching some of the history of indigenous people and how they've, you know, helped teach us, you know, mm -hmm. about the South and native foods, you know, that's where we live and the origin sort of a Southern food. Tell me more about that. Yeah. So because I study both native plants and food, right, there's a lot of stuff that we have to learn about indigenous people's currently and former use of a lot of the plants that we use in our cuisine today, such as corn. You know what I mean? Grits, for example. I'll tell you a funny story about, about grits, right? So I got a book from a very well-renowned chef named Sean Sherman, also known as the sous chef, who I had the chance to meet uh, in Robinson County. So I bought the cookbook and there was this recipe for blue corn mush in it. And so this needed culinary ash, which means I needed to burn some juniper to get the ash for it and then add it to the cornmeal. I did all the steps. It took me like an entire day. And when I was done with the dish, I had grits. I know what you're going to say. I had grits you at the end. could have some Quaker grits from the grocery <laughs> from the food lion down the street. Was it good, though? Yeah, it was It was excellent. But you and were mad it took you all day? To make grits. Yes. But what, but what it... What it showed me is like, right, this thing that we consider to be Southern and sometimes even associated with African-Americans is really a part of indigenous life sort of across Turtle Island. And so it like sort of put that in a very clear perspective because this recipe was from the Southwest. And so over all that time and all that space, here we are eating grits. Here they are eating grits. Here are lots of people eating grits all over as a part of like sort of like Turtle Island or indigenous Native American um, culinary practices that we still have today. I have to slip this in. You know, I can eat grits cold, hot, warm, old. <laughs> it doesn't matter. My family thinks I'm crazy. You really like grits. I do. 
So what's your what's your favorite meal for this time of year? You know, we're thinking sort of about Thanksgiving, but you have to eat a little bit before Thanksgiving. But, you know, I enjoy this time of year because usually that's when certain crops and foods are grown and they're available. So a traditional thing is around this time of year is when the first frost hits the collard greens, mm-hmm. right? That moment when the very first frost, right? It makes the greens sweet and tender and very easy to cook. That is a tradition that I continue to keep. I don't always eat collard greens all that often, but the first frost, the first frost, I have to get them and I have to have them Um, because to me it feels so important to do that. Um, And so collard greens are just a... When they're cooked in that moment, I don't know. There's just something that feels so magical about them. Yeah. Um, that does not feel the same if they, you know, come before or after with that very first one. Just mm, perfect. That you can, that you harvest yourself. Yep. Yep. If you have the ability to do that, that you harvest yourself and you bring them in and you wash them and the smell and all that stuff. It's just so beautiful. It's a beautiful moment. It feels like a little bit of a, not a little bit, but it is a ritual. So what do you put in your collard greens? Do you put any fat back in there? Do you put smoked turkey? I mean, come on. I do. I'll put any of that stuff, whatever I happen to have. It'll be smoked turkey or fat back or whatever. It is. It feels less than chicken, whatever. Whatever you've got, that makes sense. It does need to have a little uh, a bone of some type. I don't do too much pork, but yeah, any anything like that. And I like to add a lot of hot pepper to mine. So you do you do cook for Thanksgiving. You do have time in your busy schedule. <laughs> I, I, because I was like, maybe you don't actually cook for Thanksgiving anymore. I, I haven't cooked for Thanksgiving in a while because I was doing so much cooking at once, especially right before the pandemic. I was doing a lot of catering, and I just, I just overcooked. <laughs> I had done too much large cooking, and so I have taken a break for the last several years from cooking for Thanksgiving. Um, I might be ready this year. Like, well, maybe a community cook of some sort. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's actually a good idea. Maybe we just have one person. I mean, that's how we used to do it. Everybody, Everybody just bring, something. bring one single dish and then you move on. You know, still on the Thanksgiving front, but I did want to definitely ask you about joy mm-hmm. and your approach to food and joy sort of around this time that can really be a complicated holiday for some. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think I have a funny relationship to what we now call Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. I, because I teach the class, the ethno, Ethnobotany of Thanksgiving, that made me do a lot of a lot of research about the history in itself, and it's got a kind of a terrible history. It's not a good it's not a good holiday in that sense. Well, it depends, I guess, on your perspective. But from my perspective, it's not a good holiday. And so often I think about it as my family has celebrated this moment, right? And so we never called it Thanksgiving. It was always called the Big Eat. The Big Eat. Mm -hmm. It was never called that. Like, first of all, Thanksgiving. Very appropriate. Thanksgiving is from the North, right? It's a Northern holiday that was nationalized after the Civil War by a woman named Sarah Josepha Hale, right? She was basically the Martha Stewart and Oprah combined of her time. She was incredibly influential. And so if you, she basically thinks up Thanksgiving as we know it today, right? 
So influential was she, she actually wrote the song, Mary Had a Little Lamb. So everybody knows something about Sarah Josepha Hale, whether they know her name or not. Either way, learning more about the history about it has made me want to deepen the idea of what my families and our sort of areas, I original idea of that was, which was a big eat. It's a coming together to eat. <laughs> it's really all there is to it. You're getting together with your family, your you're, everybody's making their very best recipes. It's a moment where you don't try out new things. You just do the traditional stuff. We don't need, you know, <laughs> we don't, we don't need, um, you know, honey baked egg rolls or whatever. <laughs> we we <laughs> we just want to. We want the normal stuff, and somebody can add one new thing, perhaps. Perhaps. Maybe. Well. <laughs> That's why we gather for that holiday <laughs> is definitely um, to eat. I know, you know, I, it wasn't always a big tradition of ours, but as my parents got older and now they're no longer here, my mother always used to make everybody go around in the circle and say what they were thankful for, <laughs> what they were thankful for. And it'd be always somebody said, I'm thankful for this food. Can we eat? You know, like... <laughs> <laughs> what do you want me to say? Yes, I'm thankful for that. We're that this is almost over, that and this we're is, about. To, oh my goodness! Yeah, and we're about to eat. So tell me about Soul Food Genius. Okay. And I don't know if you're still teaching that mm-hmm. online as well, but how did that come about? So Soul Food Genius is the brainchild of myself and a, a good friend of mine out of Colorado named Asia Dorsey. We met through one of my other classes in which I was teaching the ethnobotany of soul food. So you, mm-hmm. see, the, you see the pattern here. And so um, she and I started talking. This is all during the pandemic. And she was like, we could develop this further, make this more robust. And so we're we're uh, actually teaching it. We're finishing up teaching it, this section of it. It is five to six sections, an hour and a half each per session, in which we focus on one aspect of soul food. So one class will be about cornbread, one will be about collard greens, and we go deep into the history, to the nutrition. Asian is an incredible nutritionist and herbalist. Um, And so we go deep into why our ancestors chose these particular foods, um, what is the science behind why there is a bone in black-eyed peas, what is the science behind the way that why collard greens are cooked the way that they're cooked? And so really to be able to shed light more on the on the culinary science and history of the food of African-Americans, not as just some throwaway food, but as a food that has like tons of science in terms of like tradition behind it. Um, as we sort of explore what it's like to be moving in these in these in the, the food scene of today. You know what I mean? Do you think you're getting through to people, I'm trying to think of, do you know if a lot of people taking your class, if they're of European descent, you know, are they, I mean, I know you, you we especially want them to learn, you know, the background of the food that we eat. Yes. Um, we're not, the, the class is not open to people of European descent right now. Oh. <laughs> um, we, we are, we are, there's another section that will be available uh, then because, you know, it's a slightly, it's a slightly different, you know, audience. And so we want to make sure that we are um, getting, we're sort of getting to the to the community aspect first. Well, I'm here with Justin Robinson, botanist, great cook, as you've heard, and a musician, and you're listening to Do South. So now I'd like to talk more about your ancestry, Justin, you know, where you come from. I know you've done a lot of research in this area, and how does this all connect? 
Well, yeah, I've done a lot of research in this area. And the food and the plants and all that stuff have helped me to guide me along my way. It has helped me to ask a certain set of questions that other people maybe don't ask. You know, as I was like sort of studying and researching the food that my mother's and father's family ate growing up, one of my questions was, how does this food have so much you know, indigenous American cuisine in it, and we don't really have that ancestry. What's the connection there, right? Um, and so, you know, I've had the chance to go all over the world, um, and I'm getting ready to take another sort of soul food journey just in the next few months, going to Germany. Because um, in my research, and this is all based on my ancestral and sort of my botany work, is that a set, significant portions of soul food have analogs in Germany. And I suspect that there's a big portion of soul food that is housed, right? That soul food and modern-day German food have a common ancestry. Well, I've been to Germany, and I ate a lot. Mm. And, I mean, from the, the different bratwurst, I mean, it's these pork cutlets. Yeah. That, I mean, I was like, this reminds me of something, and that's why I guess I kept ordering it, because it was very <laughs> similar to what I'd eaten here. Yeah, that's what I've discovered, right? At the same time, I discovered that I also had German ancestry, which I did not know. And so all of these things are sort of sort of sort of folding it on top of each other. So the the search for my own ancestry and the more discovery and the deepening of my own knowledge of my own people has sort of opened up these other questions, other other places to ask, other ways to ask different questions. And so, yeah, my sister and I are actually taking that journey together. We'll be visiting our ancestors, you know, whatever home hometown in southern, southern Germany as we eat our way across Germany. And drink your way across <laughs> Germany. I'm not going to be too... Best be- no, I'm, I'm just saying, I think beer and brewing, yes. that's very ancestral to African-Americans true. as well. Very true. Very so, true. So I hope you have a great trip. Thank you. And I just want to know, do you think you've come full circle now in your, you know, in your career? I mean, how are you combining all of this today? Hmm. Um, it feels like a spiral more than a circle, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of always sort of moving circularly, but a different point, you know what I mean? At a different point on the place, on the spiral. All of these, they all seem like the same thing to me. I, I have a hard time distinguishing them. And I guess that is because I am interested mostly in, I'm interested mostly in how it is I am. You know what I mean? How did I get to be like this? And of course, on that journey, I'm going to learn about how other people are too, Right. But how, do, how am I like this? Why do I look like this? Why do I like the things that I like? How did we get to where we are? All those sorts of questions, sort of existential and philosophical questions. But I'm just curious. And not only just curious, you went back to school. Yes. <laughs> I mean, that was quite surprising. You know, you know, you win a big Grammy award, you know, for your, for your work and um, entertaining um, music. And then you say, oh. It's time to get a degree in forestry and environmental science. People are like, what turn? But it was always there. Always there. It was um, always there. It was always there. I have always wanted to be a scientist. That's that has been my dream. It was never really my desire to be a musician as a profession. I said sort of, the way I described that period of my life is that I said yes to life. There was an opportunity. I knew it was an opportunity that people would give some valuable body part in order to be a part of. And so I was like, I should at least explore this, which I did. But my true heart is in science. I'm a scientist. 
And I, I, I like the way you um, you use your science. You put it out there. You let everybody see it. Like I say, we've been checking out your Instagram posts. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about, um, you know, how you use social media, you know, to educate, you know, all sorts of things. Snake plant. You have everything on there. <laughs> Papa, give us some examples. Well, um, because I believe that knowledge is not meant to be sort of hidden, right? I want people to know, right? Once we know, we can start to make different decisions. But if we don't know, we're only, we can only choose from the things that are put in front of us. But if our, our table is wider, our palette is wider, our, our perspective is wider, we can start to make different choices. Um, and so, for, like you mentioned, like teaching people about pawpaw or about snake plant or about rattlesnake master, so that people can start to have these other ideas about what is in what is in front of them, like what is possible. I want to expand possibilities for people through education. And I am not the kind of scientist who is only concerned with talking to other scientists. I, the point of me is for science is for more people to be able to know. You don't have to become a scientist, right? I've got that covered. You got it covered. <laughs> but I need to I need to have synthesized the information and provide it to you to whoever who's not a scientist who has not decided to go down that pathway in a way that is easily accessible to them in a way that I want people to explain quantum physics to me or you know whatever how to how to do a particular dance because I'm not a dancer so well you've also not just talked about plants, but really connected plants to even you being a black man, just mm-hmm. the rarity you know how it's all connected. How, I mean, is this true? You were arrested? I wasn't arrested. I was put in handcuffs. You put in handcuffs, Mm -hmm. rather, because Mm -hmm. you were outside, you know, on the land, Mm -hmm. checking a few things out. And you seem, what, suspicious because you were doing that? That's correct. This And it's not the, uh, that's on, that particular thing only happened once, but it's not the first time I've been stopped for literally, I'll tell you this instance. I was just near um, Eflint. It was raining and there was a field of colic root. Colic root is one of my very favorite plants. It's not super rare, but you don't see it very often. It was a field of it. I was like, what am I looking at? It was raining, and because I'm a botanist, I'm always prepared. <laughs> I had a jacket on. And I went out just to look at the field of colic root. And as I got back into the car, like just a few, I had driven just not far along, I got pulled over, right, to see what I was doing in the field. Now, literally, I was in the rain looking in a field, looking at flowers. Um, and so... And the officer was as nice as, you know, he could possibly be about it. But it was like, yeah, right. I can't, I can't, I kind of can't do anything. Literally, I am looking at flowers. There's no more innocent thing to have to possibly be doing in the world. But, you know, that is not how people see me. Justin Robinson loves seeing beautiful things and playing beautiful music. Even though he's not on the road anymore, touring with the Carolina Chocolate Drops, he knows good music when he hears it. My dad's family, however, listened exclusively and probably still listen to exclusively to country music. They Did it matter? That's was wild. it Charlie Pride? Yeah. No. Nope. Or was it? It the, was Loretta Lynn and Conway Twitty <laughs> and all of that. Every single, there's never a moment. And so when I started playing this kind of music, they were like over the moon. They were like, you are one of ours. Yes, yes. Coming up, Southern Mixtape with Justin Robinson. You're listening to Do South on WUNC. 
You're listening to Do South on WUNC. I'm Leonita Inge. And I'm Jeff Tabiri. This is Southern Mixtape, and our guest is Justin Robinson, a founding member of the Carolina Chocolate Drops. He plays the violin, the harp, the banjo. The f- Justin, just finish the list out for us. Uh, the auto harp. A jug? The jug, yeah. I hear you beatbox a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely <laughs> did. Good, good. So let's talk about some of your favorite music, because we know the music that we've heard you play. We know the music that won you a Grammy, but I don't know what's on your your, your personal playlist. Um, so my personal playlist is very varied. It does not follow any particular pattern, I don't think I would say. So you might hear the Carter family on Ooh. there for sure. Um, you will, might hear Megan Thee Stallion. That is also, <laughs> that's also very likely. Um, Beyonce, I like Southern sounds in general. Um, what else? You might find Basiku Kuyate, who is, the, to me, the originator of Southern sound. Or uh, Basiku Kuyate is a Malian, uh, is a Malian singer, uh, along with his family. And if you listen to this, you can't help but hear the blues. You can't help but hear R&B, soul, funk. It is all in there. Banjo music is all there. Take us back to your childhood, if you would. Yeah. Who was playing what and where was it? Whether it was church or at home or at a friend's house okay. or on the playground. Like, who was playing it and what was it? Okay. So, <laughs> so I grew up in a musical family. So, my sister was playing the piano. I was playing the violin. This is all classical music, but we didn't listen to classical music. Other than playing it, we were listening to a lot of, like, late disco stuff. So, Anita Ward and Ring My Bell that kind of stuff. Um, we were listening to Lucifer Vandros. I can't feel myself. I don't want nobody else to ever love me. You are my shining star, my guiding light, my love fantasy. There's not a minute, hour, day or night that I don't love you. You're at the top of my list cause I'm always thinking of you. And, you know, sort of the typical R&B kind of stuff. We were not listening to funk. At all, I was not allowed in that. No earth, wind, no, and no, fire, no, 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 no. no sly. Oh, and it my. was like blasphemy in a classical family, or why were listen- you not allowed to? Oh, I don't think it was because a lot, my parents just didn't, they didn't listen to it. I think they were slightly too old or okay. something. But we did not <laughs> listen to funk, or you know what I mean? It's like a thing that I had to learn later on in my life. Um, but yeah, we were listening to Luther Vandross and sort of the sort of what was going on in the late, late, uh, late 80s and early 90s me what i was listening to was of course all the all the you know sort of hip hop coming out of new york and philadelphia that was coming on the radio that that wasn't really my thing it wasn't until southern hip hop started 36 mafia crucial conflict and like their chicago um um Andre 3000 big boy with, with outcast <laughs> goody mob all those people that's when i was like okay I I relate to this. I did not relate to the stuff from up north. I was just thinking, this is a late Andre 3000. Um, 
on the shake it like no, a Polaroid yeah, yeah, picture. Yeah, yeah. That's when they sort of crossed <laughs> yes, over. Yeah, that's when they crossed over. Um, but yeah, we were we were jamming to them like a, a long time before then. In the middle, we stay calm. We just drop bombs. Asking where we come from. South Coast long. Just two dope boys in a Cadillac. Pull that thread a little bit yeah. for us. Just when you say you weren't relating to the hip hop from up north, and mm-hmm. when it finally spoke to you from the south, it's the lyrics, it's the instruments, it's everything. It's the beat. Yeah. It totally, it to- it sounds totally different, right? Right. right. And one of the things I've been doing is like really researching like the West African roots of hip hop just by listening to. I mean, there's so much more information. We have so much more access to stuff than we did even 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. And some of the music that just speaks to me and resonates to me so much is this music from Benin, right? From a group of people who are called the Mahi people. I know you seen young me. I get the money pass your papa. Wait till you want where I know feel do for you. Why you want the book? It sounds like it sounds like 36 Mafia. Right? It sounds like Tennessee hip hop, right? And I was like, right, this is where these sounds why I resonate so much with these sounds. Because the hip hop from up north is very much disco based, very much jazz based, which we didn't listen to that. We never listened to jazz. We never listened to uh, we listened to a little bit of disco. Yeah, and we should have been listening to a little jazz mixed. Because I think of um, the music coming out of, you know, New Orleans. It was mm-hmm. kind of mixed with jazz, but it also had a very heavy street beat. Yep. Um, and so my pa- my dad's family, however, listened exclusively and probably still listen to exclusively to country music. Nothing else. I have never heard anything else being played in any in that houses. Not once, not ever. Exclusively country. Did they? Did it matter? That's was wild. it Charlie Pride? Yeah. No. Nope. Or was it? It the, was Loretta Lynn and Conway Twitty. Hello, darling. Nice to see. You. It's been a long time. You're just as lovely as you used to be. And all of that, every single, there's never a moment. And so when I started playing this kind of music, they were like over the moon. They were like, you are one of ours. Yes, <laughs> yes. Well, tell me, pretty baby, do you think you're too sweet to Because we kiss and we cuss and we carry on. We kiss and we cuss and we carry on. One question I have is, as I think about rhythms of the week, or I think about certain things that I get into each week, whether I'm making dinner or I'm I'm going for a, a trail run or I'm shooting baskets in my driveway, like there are different times where I want different kinds of music. For you, when you're getting into your your craft, your work, mm-hmm. are you listening to music? Mm-hmm. Or, and what are you listening to? Um, I'm either listening to one or two things. I'm either listening to science documentaries about science, okay, <laughs> because I like to maximize what my learning time, or I am listening to like Nigerian gospel from the early 2000s. That's usually what I'm listening to when I'm like outside working. How many languages do you speak? Do you speak multiple? Four. Languages? Four. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
English, of okay. course. Well, <laughs> we're speaking that now. Spanish, Portuguese, and Yoruba. You better learn that Wolof. Yeah. You're, Hanging well, out in Senegal. Yeah, Wolof is on, is on my list. Wolof and, and, and Hausa are both on my list to learn. So, so what about, you know, you're a botanist. You know, you're outside a lot. So what do you play for the plants? I mean, mm, what what I, I mean, like what helps them grow? So this is my experience, and I'm not going to try to get too metaphysical for you, but plants love the sound of human beings' voices. Okay. Okay, just in general. Usually, I'll, sometimes I'll sing, um, depending depending if I'm whatever I'm trying to do, if I'm trying to get a particular result out of whatever I'm doing, I'll sing a particular thing. But they really love indigenous music, if that makes any sense. So sometimes, you know, I used, I have played before and actually sung on one of the records of Pura Fey and the Deer Clan singers. I'll sometimes play that on with my speaker out when I'm when I'm out, um, or sometimes I'll listen to it while I'm out because the land and the music go together, right? And so, without having music like the Deer Clan music or listening to Pura Fey's Machi or those kind of things, which are sung in the la- in the language of this place. It's a a totally different experience. Sometimes I want to curate an experience if I'm driving around a particular place and I was like, well, I want to hear the music of this place while I'm near near wherever. I'll put on like was in North England one time, and I said, I need to feel the music of this place. So I put on this band called The Unthanks. Like, I needed to have the, I wanted to feel the whole spectrum of what I was listening to. Justin Robinson is your guest here on Due South, here on WUNC. He's a founding member of the Carolina Chocolate Drops. And uh, this portion of the conversation is our latest installment of uh, our Southern Mixtape series when we uh, chat with really smart and really musically inclined people about <laughs> music uh, of all Ilks and People varieties. who know music better than we do, Jeff. Yeah. That's the bottom line. Concisely stated, yes. <laughs> yes. When I, some, some music that I've been listening to a lot of recently, and I actually thought, I was like, I bet Justin would like this. Have you heard of Jalen Nganda? No. I mean, it's just this R&B and this, this sound that I have to almost listen every day. I'm trying to learn the words. And it's, mm. it's not, it's really R&B, but... It's, it's, it's a throwback. And, you know, and one of the main writers on, on his album is Solange. I think so. I've been, <laughs> I've been wondering what I'm going to introduce you to. I'm going to like that. Is there any music that you've been introduced to by a, a partner, a nephew, a child, a colleague? Some something that was just outside of kind of your comfort zone, your area that you preferred that that you've really warmed to. Yeah, this is. I, re- I remember this very specifically. I was watching the movie Strangers. It's a horror film. Um, and there was this, the soundtrack of the, uh, uh, in the movie, there was this, uh, this track, which was the weirdest music I'd ever heard to that point, which was Joanna Newsom. And somebody introduced me to Joanna Newsom, and I was like, what is this? I slept. 
one of the most interesting artists I think of our times. <laughs> just really, I mean, I find it to be a privilege to be alive now and have access to all the music that we do is because we can really hear some really amazing, it's incredible com composition, really great songwriting, it's incredibly dense. It is not like, oh, I just want to let my mind flow. That's not what you're going to listen to. <laughs> um, but that's not something I, I mean, that inspired me to learn how to play the harp. I was just so taken with these sounds, um, which have then, of course, you know, inspired all these other sort of all the West African harps and learning more about mm -hmm. that. But yeah. Now, I'm, I don't want to put you in a box. You know, when I think Are you about listening the, to this man? He is. There's no box. There's know, not a box but, but big this, enough for this, this musical but, taste. But one, another artist that I enjoy listening to all the time, and I wonder, what do you think about Valerie June? I love Valerie June. Okay. Um, I haven't listened to her newest stuff. Uh, very interesting music. And to me, sometimes I prefer music to be interesting than good. Right, because I think she's from Tennessee. She's from Tennessee. She has that twang. Yeah, um, she plays all the strings. She plays all the strings. Just like Justin. Yeah. I liked out Valerie June's music a lot. Uh, again, I haven't listened to I haven't listened to it recently. You know, sometimes you in a, I feel like I'm in a period of like listening to a lot of brand new music, and sometimes it's like I'm just gonna rely on the old favorites. <laughs> and so for the last I don't know two and two and a half years or so, I've just been relying on kind of the old favorites. This is Southern mixtape on Due South. We're talking with Justin Robinson, formerly with the Carolina Chocolate Drops. He has a keen ear for good music from the South. We got the chance to talk about one of our mutual favorites, Beyonce. I mean, I got to go see, uh, uh, I went to go see Beyonce in Dallas. Um, and I was kind of on the fence about going. I don't love crowds. Yep. I've, had, I've seen all the concerts in the world. I don't care about the experience so much. But that was incredible, yeah. right? In the sense of, I've never said this about a performer ever. It was a pleasure to watch her perform. Mm. It was just I was like, you really, not only are you good at this, you're really like this, right? And I love to see somebody who was actually really good at, it was a combination of really doing something that they really love and are really great at it. I think we don't get to experience that very much. I don't get to experience that very much, that intersection of somebody who is a master of something and they are really in their enjoyment of it. If you recall from the performance in Dallas, what sold you, like what, what was it where you said, oh, she's having a blast up there? Just her, I'm a musician, right? So I know what it's like to fake it on mm. stage. And I know what it's like to actually be genuinely having a good time. And I could just, if I'm putting myself in her position, this, the smiles that were coming off her face were just genuine. She was just happy to be there. These were like not forced. This was, and she was, and it was clear that she was like hoarse. Her speaking voice is very, very hoarse, and her singing was sounded incredible. I don't think we're gonna have another Renaissance tour like yeah, that no, ever it was, again. It's incredible. Um, it, it really was incredible. I'm not sure how they were mounting that show, you know, every couple days or however often it was, but it was. It really was incredible. Yeah, I've been playing um, one of the songs that I didn't realize was an old song, but she. Definitely definitely performs it during that tour and it's called Black Parade. I'm going back to the south. I'm going back, 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 back when my roots ain't watered down. Growing, growing like a bob, bob tree of life on for the ground. My ancestor put me on game. 
I love that song. I was actually watching Black is King last night again because I realized for me the album did not get as much shine as I would have liked it to have gotten. One, it happened during the pandemic, right? And it was so Africa focused, right? Really brought, I don't I don't feel this about other people's music uh, or other people's art. I feel pretty like as a self-contained human being. Um, but Black is King sort of helped me through the pandemic. It really did. I watched it innumerable times. Well, Justin Robinson, thank you for joining us for our Southern Mixtape and on Due South. What a renaissance man. <laughs> he cooks. He plays instruments. He does, he's a, he, he does it all. He does it all. But thank you very much for joining us. You're very welcome. I'm Leonita Inge. And I'm Jeff Tabiri. This is Due South on WUNC. Thanks for listening. <laughs>